Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. As I'm recording this, we've just done Questions of Life. Kath and I have been talking about how do we know what God wants us to do each day. And we recognise that trying to work out what God's will is for our life is immensely difficult for some of us. And we can tie ourselves up into all kinds of knots. At the same time, I'm also recording this in the midst of the struggles in America over the outcome of the election and whether uh, Donald Trump was or wasn't re-elected. Last week, we looked at that in more detail in the verse where uh, the followers uh, of the crowd are asking whether Jesus is a good man or whether he is a deceiver. And we tried to look at how we tell whether a person is a good man or a deceiver. And today we're going to follow on from how Jesus answers that question and try and link those two ideas of trying to know what the truth is and trying to know what God's will is and trying to put those two together. So we're in the next part of John's Gospel. And uh, Jesus has been telling his brothers that the crowds, uh, uh, the leaders are out to get him and out to kill him. And in our previous studies, we've looked at how he says to his brothers, look, it's not yet time for me to die. And uh, among the crowds, we had this passage that we looked at last time. Some said he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. And uh, we're trying to get to the answer that Jesus gives as to how people can tell whether he's telling the truth or not. Verse 13, we read, no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Now, it was not until halfway through the festival, this is John 7, verse 14, that Jesus went up to the temple courts and he begins to teach. And in verse 15, we read that the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without being taught? Now, why were they asking this question? What did they mean? What was the source of their amazement? Well, they were amazed that he knew the scriptures But the reason they talk about him not having been taught is that they couldn't recognise which school of teaching, which school of theology, which rabbi had taught him. In other words, the way he was talking about the Bible was fresh. It was not somebody else's teaching. They were used to teachers, rabbis who were building on top of the people that had taught them. There were schools of theology. And this guy, Jesus, was not using any of those conventional ways of teaching. And they were surprised by that. Now, that brought with it a fear. And the fear was, well, if he isn't teaching us stuff that other people have already taught, is he making it up? Is this guy a maverick? Is this guy just bringing human ideas? How do we know that this is from God? And behind that was the assumption that God had bit by bit built up his uh, teaching through one rabbi after another. And there was a a theme that you could look back on and say, well, this is how God has taught us. Now, we have the Bible and we understand the Bible to be the word of God and to have been developed over a number of years. But in Jewish thinking, it was the interpretations and the commentaries and the writings on the Bible that were particularly significant and the way in which the law was to be understood and interpreted. We don't put so much weight by the different schools of theology. But nevertheless, there are still different schools. There are your Calvinists or your Arminians or, or your Charismatics or your Pentecostals or your Reformed or your conservative theological theologians. There's all kinds of different streams. But we don't tend to think that's so authoritative. 
So we need to just get back into the fear that the listeners had that Jesus would be deceiving him, be deceiving them because he hadn't been taught by somebody else. It was clear that his teaching was new. So, verse 16, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. Well, they, they know that, they understand that, they see that. He says, it comes from the one who sent me. In other words, his authority is from God. But how were they to know that this teaching was from God and that he wasn't a deceiver? And then we get to this key verse, which is going to be the theme for the rest of our study. Verse 17 of John 7. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God, this is Jesus speaking, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak my own. And I want to just unpack that verse for a few moments and ask ourselves two or three questions. Firstly, what is choosing to do the will of God? He says, look, if you choose to do the will of God, you will know whether I speak the truth or not, whether my words are from God. So the second question is, how does this help us decide about Jesus? How does knowing the will of God help us decide about Jesus? And can it help us decide anything about other people? So let's have a look at the idea of choosing to do the will of God. I want to suggest to you that there are three choices about how and what and whose will we follow. And this is a fundamental choice in life. Are we going to choose the will of God or are we going to choose another agenda for our lives? And I want to suggest quite strongly that it is impossible not to have made this choice. That even to say, well, I'm not, I'm not thinking about that, that in itself is to make a choice because I think we all have a default setting. And if we leave ourselves to, if you like, the factory settings, if we leave ourselves without making any decision, we will in fact be making a decision. So I want to suggest to you that all human beings have one natural default setting, that we have then one alternative setting that we can choose and then there is one reset button, if we like to lose the language of uh, our smartphone or our, our, our computer. So what is this default setting? What is the setting that we're born with? Well, I think it is this. It is to choose to do the will of ourself, that we are born with a natural desire for self-preservation, which has been corrupted through our rejection of God and our rebellion against God, has been corrupted into choosing to do the will of self. That most human beings, that's just how we're wired. That's how a children is born. That's how we look from the outset. In other words, we will do what feels most attractive. We will do what is least difficult, what is least costly. And this is our default setting unless changed. So if we don't make any decision, any choice, then actually we will live our lives around putting our own will and our own desires at the forefront. We will live for ourselves firstly. That's how we're made. That's how we're born. Our default setting is what's easiest for me, what's best for me, what will I like doing, what will I enjoy most, what will bring me the most satisfaction or profit or profit. Uh, uh, popularity or whatever it is. And when, our when we're living in our default setting and we're choosing simply to do the will of ourselves, then these are the questions that we ask ourselves. And uh, we, it may be helpful just to, to, to think about this, to just 
do a bit of a, a, a rethink about our own lives and say, you know, have, is this the way I live? Am I actually simply choosing to do the, my own will? So the questions that we'll ask are, will it be fun? Can I afford it? Have I time? These are the kind of core things that de decide what we do, what we do with our money, what we do with our time, what we do with our uh, future, what we do with our career, what we, uh, what we think is most important in life. When our default setting is active, that we're simply choosing to do our own will, then we're governed by the answers to these questions. And our relationship with God becomes us asking him to do what we want. Our prayer life is about us having an agenda that we want God to make easier or to help us with. So we, we ask God to do the things that we want him to do. Most of us probably still live that way. Certainly the way we were brought up. It's the human natural instinct. But for some of us, there is a second thing that takes over. It's an alternative setting that isn't actually a particularly healthy setting either. And it's to choose to do the will of others. That through circumstances, perhaps through relationships, perhaps through the way we were brought up, we become geared around doing what others expect of us. In other words, what will bring the most acceptance? What will make life the most peaceful? And so our decisions are based around what do other people want us to do? What do other people expect us to do? What do other people, uh, what will other people um, accept us if we conform to? So the questions we ask will be something like, what will, and insert the name here, think? Now that can be somebody deceased. That can be, what would my parents think who are long gone? Sometimes we're still living to please people who are no longer in our lives. But sometimes it's not any individual. It's just anybody. It's just the crowd. It's just the group. It's just the, uh, anybody who we hope will be our friends. What will so-and-so think? And what does so-and-so want me to do? So many of us are choosing to do the will of self by choosing no different. But some of us have been corrupted into choosing to do the will of others. And our prayer life then becomes this kind of prayer. We are asking God as to why it's so hard. Why is life so difficult, God? Because we're constantly dancing to the drumbeat and the tune that others would have for us. And we wonder where God is within it. Now, Jesus has said that people need to choose to do the will of God. In other words, it's not an instinctive, natural thing. It's a firm decision. And this is the third path. We are choosing to say, I will live my life for you, God. I will seek your way of doing things. And every day to say, God, what would you have me do? And we, Kath and I, unpack this a little bit in Questions of Life, and you can find that wherever you found this uh, talk. When we seek and choose to do the will of God, we are asking consciously, God, what would you have me do? And Jesus is very clear that this is a choice, it's a decision, it's an action that needs to be taken to change what is otherwise our normal life. 
He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God. He doesn't say anyone, everyone does the will of God. He says it's a choice. It's a decision of the will. It comes about because we decide out of the, our rational probability of thinking that to do what God wants is probably the best way of living. In other words, that for me, recognizing that the way the creator of the universe would have me live is probably going to be better and wiser than the way I want to live in my own natural self. And that to serve the greater good and cause of being part of the mission of God is a fantastic thing and a rewarding, fulfilling thing. It's not that to do this is somehow harmful to self or even harmful to others. The outcomes may look exactly the same. It may still be that we do things that others would do for themselves or that we do things that others want for us. It's that the motivation has changed. That we want to do what God wants. And for me, there is no greater thing no more exciting thing, no more rewarding thing, no more a fulfilling thing than to say, God, here's my life. What would you have me do with it? You've made me a certain way. How can I fulfill my full potential? What can I do that will really impact the world in the way you intended me to do it? So our first question for reflection is have we made the decision to choose the will of God? Or is God meant to help us fulfill our will? In other words, are we simply using God to, uh, as some kind of genie, some kind of a magic wish formula to do what we want? Or are we saying, God, what do you want us? Having made the decision to choose the will of God, the next question for us is, what is God's will? What does he actually ask of us? And remember, Jesus is saying to the crowd, look, if you know the will of God, if you choose the will of God, you will be able to tell whether I'm teaching the truth or not. So I think he had in mind some of the ideas from the Old Testament that teach what is the will of God. And one verse in particular that I think probably was at the back of his mind that certainly is a really helpful way of us checking out what the will of God is comes in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 where uh, God speaking through the prophet Micah says, look, he has shown you what is good and he has shown you what the Lord requires of you. So if we're trying to work out whether what the will of God is for us, then we want to look at this verse and it outlines three things. And uh, these uh, are, are things that we might want to say, this is what it means to do the will of God. If I choose the will of God, this is what it will mean. And the first thing is to act. In other words, that to choose the will of God requires a, a behavior, requires actions. It's not simply a set of beliefs. It's not simply about uh, choosing to say something. It's about choosing to do something. So to fulfill the will of God, there needs to be an authenticity and there needs to be an integrity. Our lifestyle needs to match what we say. If we're going to do the will of God, it must affect our behavior. So how are we to act? Well, he goes on and explains. We are to act justly. In other words, there is to be fairness for all. So what does this look like? 
how do we act justly? Well, I don't want to suggest some things that are unjust, some actions that are unjust, and therefore to help us see what it means in practice, practically to act justly, to do God's will in our daily lives. So an unjust action I want to suggest to you, firstly, would be to allow some people to be hungry whilst others have too much. Therefore, to act justly means that we will do all we can to help the poor. We will give. We will be generous. We will seek to make sure that those who have the least are pulled up a bit to have more. We will pay our taxes to help the poor. Secondly, I want to suggest to you that an unjust action is allowing some to be misled whilst others know the truth. In other words, a just action to act justly means to speak the truth, to not allow others to be misled, to not allow others to be deceived, but to make sure that all of our communications and all that we pass on and all that we share and all that we say is truthful. To act unjustly, I want to suggest, is to allow some people to be looked down upon whilst others feel superior. In other words, the way we speak of others, the way we uh, enhance or allow the reputation of others to be seen and understood, whether through our language, through our speech, through our gossip, or, where, or what we text or communicate, that that's unjust. And what is just, therefore, is to only speak well of others and to use our words to build and encourage and enhance the reputation of other people. Another unjust action, you might have your own that would be different to this list, but another unjust action I want to suggest is to allow some to have a declining environment whilst others consume more. In other words, it is unjust that some people's homes are more at risk of flooding or of uh, storm damage or of land of drought whilst other people in the world are consuming more and more. That's unjust. And therefore, to act justly means to care for creation, to ensure that the beauty and wonder of all that God has made is available for every human being and not just one section of the world. An unjust action is also to allow some to be fearful whilst others are manipulating and inducing fear and bullying and intimidating and therefore to act justly means to do all we can to protect the vulnerable, to stand against oppression and to support and speak up on behalf of those who are being bullied or intimidated. To act unjustly is to allow some to be rejected whilst others are accepted, whether it's to do with the, their colour, uh, whether it's to do with their race, whether it's to do with their religion, whether it's to do with their beliefs, whether it's to do with their lifestyle, whether it's to do with the way they perceive themselves and their identity. That a just action is to welcome all and to bring the love of God into everybody's life and not to discriminate and say, this person can receive God's love and this person can't. And that links into summarizing all of this as saying that to, uh, to do the will of God is to act justly, behaviors and actions of fairness for all. But that this is balanced with the second part of this verse, which is to love mercy. 
Now, I think there is a, a challenge between those two ideas where they seem at odds with each other because for those of us who act justly, sometimes we want to punish those who don't. Those who people who are very concerned, often the religious are very concerned about right and correct behavior, struggle with those who don't. And we want those of us who behave well to be rewarded. And yet... God says, look, what I really want of human beings, what I really want you to do is to hold these two things together, both at the same time. Yes, I want you to act in a certain way, but I want you to love mercy. So what does loving mercy look like? Well, firstly, it means in our own lifestyle that we're aware of our own need for mercy, and therefore we live in a constant attitude of repentance rather than self-sufficiency. We are aware of our need for God's mercy and we love the fact that God is merciful. We don't think we deserve God's care, but we are uh, rejoicing in the undeserved love of God. And therefore we're living in humility rather than arrogance. That to love mercy means to be people of repentance and humility who know our own weakness. And out of that knowledge of our own weakness comes the desire to seek transformation in others, not punishment. We don't want other people uh, to lose eternity with God. We want them to be changed by the love of God. And this is one of the key things that God wants us to do, which is to love people being saved. And therefore, we celebrate restoration rather than resenting grace. This is picked up in the story that Jesus told of the two sons. And one son takes half the inheritance and goes and squanders it all. But the second son stays on the farm with his father. He acts justly. He does the right thing. He looks after the farm. He works the farm. But when the rebellious son returns and his father shows him mercy, the older brother resents this celebration of the restoration. And Jesus tells the story to remind us that if we are to do the will of God, we must love mercy and celebrate transformation rather than resenting grace. And then that outworks itself in our own personal lives because we want to forgive others and we don't want to hold on to hurts. Now, that may mean that we need to ask for God's help and we ask for his intervention in our lives because it's not always easy. But our desire is to let go of pain rather than to hold on to hurt. And so these ideas can be summed up by uh, putting them together in, in the word love. We're balancing these two ideas that God asks of us that we love. That we love to do right and we love to be merciful. And the third thing that comes in this verse is relationship with God, to walk humbly with your God. I want you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And what does walking humbly with God look like? What is relationship with God? I want to suggest just four things. It's firstly that we talk to him, that we go through the day saying, Lord, uh, thank you. What would you have me do? How do I do this? Please, could you do that? That we pray, that we're in relationship, that we talk to God. And secondly, that we listen. We listen through the reading of scripture, but we listen too in the silence and the stillness. And we listen through the observation of events and what is going on. And we say, God, what are you saying? 
We listen to our inner thoughts and our heart. To walk in relationship with God is to talk to him and to listen to him. And thirdly, it is to obey him. And to obey the scriptures that we've just read about acting justly and to to commit to do that and to commit to love mercy and to be obedient in that. And the fourth and final aspect of walking with God is to worship, is to live in gratitude, is to be thankful, is to acknowledge his glory and his majesty and his power and to give thanks. So we've asked the question, have we made the decision to choose the will of God? And the next question is this, are we doing what God asks of us? Are we acting justly? Or have we drifted away from that? Are we loving mercy or are we holding on to resentment? Are we walking humbly with God? So we go back to this verse, John 7, 17. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God makes this choice to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. He then says, they will find out whether my teaching comes from God whether I speak, or whether I speak on my own. In other words, when we are acting justly, loving mercy, and walking with God, we can tell whether someone is telling the truth, speaking from God. We can tell whether Jesus is really right. He says, if we've chosen to put God before self and others, and we've chosen to act justly and love mercy and live in relationship with God, then the teachings of Jesus should resonate. They should add up. They should make sense. And if they do, then he's from God. And if they don't, then he isn't. And so very briefly, just, let's just quickly illustrate that. What has he been teaching them that they are to measure against that verse? Well, he's been teaching them, firstly, that uh, his teaching begins with a call to repent, to turn away. And again, you've got this idea, clearly he loves mercy. Otherwise, why would he call people to repent? He isn't coming to tell them that they are uh, to be about to be punished. He's telling them to come and receive mercy. And then, of course, he's asked what is the most important um, commandments. And he answers, in Mark 12, we read these verses, he answers that the, the, the two most important commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and the second is love your neighbor. There is no greater commandment than these. And so that matches up, doesn't it? If you know that to serve God is to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God, then you, rec- you look at that and you say, yeah, those are the answers that God would give. Clearly this man is from God. Later on in John's gospel, he will teach them a new command I give you, love one another. In Matthew, he expounds this and says, you've been told love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so we ask ourselves, does this all match up with an idea of who God would be? And the implication is, yes, it does. That Jesus' teachings do match what they knew God wanted of them. And that's what this verse is about. And that leads us to our final question, which is how can we tell whether other people's teaching is of God? are those we trust doing the will of God. And so the measure needs to be those three things. Are the people whose teachings we are listening to, are they acting justly? Do they speak the truth? Do they seek the well-being of all peoples? 
that they include and treat everybody fairly of all nations? And do they love mercy? Or do they speak harsh words and seek to bully and intimidate and ridicule? And do they walk humbly with God? We cannot follow people who do not act justly, who do not love mercy, and who do not walk humbly with God. And so we must understand whether we know those things and can see those things in our leaders, uh, whether in political life or in church life. Let's pray together. Father, will you help us to choose to do your will? And will you help us then to do your will? And will you help us to recognize who we can follow? We bring to you our fears about following you and our doubts and our unworthiness and our inadequacy. We bring it all to you. And we ask you to fill us with your spirit that we may live as you created us to do. And that our lives would have the glorious epitaph that we did your will. Amen. So our questions have been, have we made the decision to choose the will of God? Remember, the default setting is not, so it needs to be specifically, clearly chosen. Or are we still trying to get God to do what we want? And our second question is, are we doing what God asks of us? Having chosen to do his will, are we acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with him? And finally, are those we trust doing the will of God? Amen.